listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Tuesday, November 5th, and we thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. Tonight, we bring you some coverage on WKNC's own The Lounge series and more with Fires with Dave. But first, let's turn to Katie Costa for the weather. Katie? You know, it's been cool and cloudy out there lately, especially over the past couple of days, but what should we expect for the rest of this week? Well, Nick, I am glad you asked because it looks like we are going to be on a weather roller coaster this week. Today we had a typical fall day with highs peaking into the upper 50s and partly cloudy skies. Tonight we will cool down to 42 degrees with patches of fog moving into the region after midnight. But by tomorrow we will begin to warm up as Canadian high pressure extends into the Carolinas. In fact, tomorrow will be the warmest day this week with highs peaking into the lower 70s and mostly sunny skies. Tomorrow evening will be pleasant temperature-wise, especially for this time of year, with lows in the mid-50s and mostly cloudy conditions. And we do have a slight chance of showers overnight tomorrow night, but mainly this will occur after 3 a.m., so nothing really much to worry about, just a sprinkle or two. Our chances of rain will continue into Thursday morning as a cold front crosses through the triangle during the day, so be sure to grab an umbrella on your way out the door. This cold front will also drop us from a warm daytime high of 68 degrees on Thursday down to a chilly 39 degrees by Thursday evening. That is almost a 30-degree drop in temperature in less than a 12-hour period, which is pretty drastic. So be sure to bundle up if you are planning on heading out Thursday evening. Friday, we will slowly climb up to a high of 57 degrees with clear blue skies. So it is the perfect day to show off your favorite fall sweater. Friday night will be the coldest night of the week with a low of 32 degrees, which marks the freezing mark. So be sure to wear a hat, scarf and gloves if you are planning on heading out for a night on the town because you will certainly need them. It looks like we've had... Pretty pleasant fall weekend ahead for ahead of us, with plenty of sunshine and highs in the low 60s and lows in the lower 40s. This weekend is the perfect weekend for a jog around Lake Johnson or a picnic in the park. So it looks like our warmest days this week will be on Wednesday and Thursday, thanks to a Canadian high-pressure system building into the region tomorrow. But a cold front will be changing things around very quickly as temperatures drop drastically overnight Thursday, bringing highs only into the mid-50s on Friday. Not to mention, Friday night will be the coldest night this week with lows in the lower 30s, so be sure to wear plenty of layers. I'm meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks for tuning in to your weather here on Eye in the Triangle. Back to you, Nick. Thanks, Katie. And now here's Nick with international news highlights. After a military mutiny in Bangladesh in 2009 that resulted in the brutal deaths of 74 top Bangladeshi rifles, or BDR, officers, A court sentenced 152 soldiers to death, 157 people, mostly border guards, to life in prison, and acquitted 271 soldiers on Tuesday. Up to 6,000 other soldiers have been imprisoned across the country after similar mutinies took place at other Bangladeshi rifle bases. Though it's uncertain what exactly caused the violence, repressed anger over poor benefits and resentment towards BDR officers is suspected to be one of the main aspects. Billions of dollars of art pieces stolen by the Nazis during Hitler's regime in Germany was found two years ago and is finally being announced now. The collection, possibly the largest discovery of Nazi stolen goods to date, was found in Munich, Germany, in a building with a reclusive son of an art collector. The 
The art pieces will now have to go through the process of being attempted to be returned to their original owners and be auctioned off if no links can be found. On Monday, a man hijacked a bus in Norway with a knife and managed to kill three people, including the bus driver. There's no apparent motivation for the crime at the moment, but authorities have arrested the suspect and he is in custody. The crime is surprising coming from Norway as the country rarely has multiple killings. On Sunday, off the western coast of Myanmar, a boat carrying 70 ethnic minority Muslim refugees fleeing sectarian violence capsized and only eight survivors have been found. A large exodus of refugees often occurs around the beginning of November from Myanmar as many as 1,500 people have fled in the last week. The Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons has hit a wall regarding the fundraising for the mission to purge Syria's chemical weapons. The amount raised thus far, $13.5 million, is only enough to support the task through the end of November. Thus far, the United States has been the largest contributor to this fund, with Britain, Canada, Germany, the Netherlands, and Switzerland following. Experts predict the total cost of the destruction of the weapons to reach hundreds, over hundreds of millions of dollars, depending on how the weapons are wiped out. Here at WKNC, we just premiered a new, um, tele- a new YouTube series known as The Lounge. Here's some more about that. WKNC recently launched a unique video series called The Lounge. Walt Lilly, our production manager, sat down with me to talk a bit about what this new program is all about. About this summer, John Kowalczyk, who was program director at the time over the summer, uh, approached me and he sort of had this dream of making a little video series with KNC where we have artists come in and just we just point cameras at them and let them play the music they want to play. And he wasn't really sure how to go about doing it. So we kind of goofed around for a little while and tested out some ideas, spent a few months shooting pilots and Having our friends come in and help us out, like Mark Cusio from Ghost Blonde, let us use him as a guinea pig, which we're very appreciative of that, and we learned a lot from that. But we've just now actually gotten rolling on it, and we just released, I guess, the second episode, you'd call it, of the songs Jackson Scott came in and performed. The series gets its name because the filming location is our own radio station lounge. This presents advantages as well as disadvantages. We want it to feel very... I hate to use the word intimate, but we're trying to make it very intimate. So it's a really small room, which is something, one of our obstacles we're trying to get over. Because thus far, we've just had Daniel Bachman and Jackson Scott. They both were just doing solo sets with guitars. But in the future, we kind of want to see if we can squeeze two or three people in there and just have some semblance of a full band performance in that kind of environment, which I think will be really cool, and that's something we're trying out pretty soon. As far as producing the segments, it's become a lot easier over time. Preparation is a little bit difficult, aligning everyone's schedules, because uh, we've had John Mitchell and Kevin Sweeney run sound for us, and they do a great job setting all it up and then editing it, making it sound really pretty. And uh, editing is was very difficult at first, because we it took us a while to figure out how we were going to stylize it and how we wanted everything to look. John and I struggled with that a lot at the beginning, but... Now we've got it down to a science. We've figured out how we want every episode to look. we figured out the format. So now, pretty much whenever we filmed a fresh session, I just got to take it in, sync the audio, drop my titles, scan them in, pretty it up, and then it's pretty much good to go. Looking towards the future, the lounge will be a consistent part of WKNC's multimedia content. We have a few in the pipeline right now, so 
one every two to three weeks, if not sooner. That's probably like the lowest frequency it'll be. We've got one coming up I'm pretty excited about, but I don't want to spoil it. I want to leave it a surprise. Just, just stay tuned for that. To keep up with new episodes, subscribe to the YouTube page. That's youtube.com slash the WKNC881. You can like the Facebook page, WKNC's The Lounge, and keep an eye on the WKNC Twitter. That's at WKNC881, where teases of upcoming releases will be posted over the next few weeks. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. This is Dave. Um, if you've been following the past few weeks, you might have heard some of my series on fires, uh, in which I did an interview with my professor, Dr. Joe Roisey, and um, I've finished up the series, so this is the last segment uh, on fires. Something I like to always bring up is that Earth is the only planet that we know of that has fire on it. All the other planets are... Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay. And the reason is we, we have a lot of fuel on the surface. Oh, that's <laughs> true. That is true. And we have oxygen in the atmosphere. And then we have lightning to start the fire. So. Yeah, so it's, it's easy enough to get a fire started. Right. So then we have currently the Rim Fire which is out in California. Right. And as far as I can, I've, I've seen, it's that particular fire is 80% contained, and I did see that it, it, they determined that it was started by a, a hunter. Yes. That Obviously, he didn't true. mean for it to be you know, the fire that it is, but whatever he did got out of hand, and now we've got this massive fire. So what, what exactly happened with that? Well, the... There was a big build-up to what happened in the, the Rim Fire. Or, you know, the fire season isn't over out there, so it's it's ongoing. But the Rim mm. Fire is the biggest, uh, at least in California, for this year. First of all, California is in a drought, and so they haven't gotten any moisture to, uh, you know, help put the fires out or to, um, you know, to to subdue them. So you have low moisture content. And you also, out west, you have low humidity, which means there's not very much moisture in the air. And you put some wind into that mixture and then a little bit of, you know, a, a hunter who left his fire going. Uh, he might have put the fire out, but mm-hmm. the wind kicked it up. So the wind can, you know, blow off all the ash and put a little spark out, blow it 10 feet and land in a And that is tender. all it takes. Yeah, that's yeah. all it takes. And then it's off and running. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the Rim Fire is in an area of the Sierra Nevadas that has seen fires all along. In fact, it was mm-hmm. a, um, the giant sequoias, the incense cedar, um, ponderosa pine. Those are all common species in that area. Um, they're all fire-dependent species, and they all thrived under the uh, pre-fire uh, suppression era with 
you know, Californians or Native Americans putting uh, prescribed fire or their controlled fires on the landscape. And again, the Park Service at Yosemite um, had been doing a very good job of of uh, burning. So they did prescribed fires mm-hmm. or, or let it burn fires, probably would be the better thing to, to say. They, they didn't go in and actively try to suppress it. So this year, even though the um, they had good fuel control in in Yosemite. All around it, they didn't, and so oh. the the big fires could just move in. And you know, even though the um, you know Yosemite didn't have a high fuel load, it still had it still was susceptible to the heat from the outside, the wind blowing in sparks, and then once it gets started, it's going to spread. You know, until my prediction is those fires will spread until the snows start to fall. Uh, they're just too big to, which to, is to stop with all the money. It's amazing. It. It's amazing to me to think of a, a fire just going on for months, one fire burning continuously for months at a time, yeah. until until Mother Nature puts it out. I mean, we're almost at that point powerless right. to put it out. That's right. Um. So, okay. Benefits and drawbacks. Obviously, there's a lot of drawbacks to a fire because you can get property burned. Obviously, lives lost are uh, definitely a drawback to any fire. Um, what other drawbacks can we see? Could we see from a wildfire that that just gets out of control? Okay. Does it harm ecologically? If it's intense enough, it it does have a a, a greater effect than just a prescribed fire. Okay. It will kill the roots of this root systems and kill the uh, things that have crawled underground to escape it um, just because of the, the heat is so intense. Um, you also have um, on these huge fires, on any fire for that matter, you have a lot of uh, atmospheric emissions. So you have mm. huge amounts of particulate matter, chemicals, you know, part smoke going up into the atmosphere. And people are very susceptible to that. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just people, but not. All, right. all, yeah. all organisms. Um, in fact, we did a, a nice study was done by the EPA here in the Triangle. Uh, it was, it was tracking the plumes of smoke associated with, I believe it was the Evans Road fire, but I'm not sure of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in eastern North Carolina, and they could track the plume of smoke going around via satellite, and so they could also track when the smoke was going when it was going over a a city such as uh, Coltsboro. Okay. So the smoke would be going, moving around. And when it was parked over this, a city, all of a sudden in that area, you get a big increase in uh, respiratory ailments, uh, emergency room admissions, and, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. Different uh, uh, diseases or, or problems associated with uh, partic- particulate matter or the smoke in the air. So they saw a high correlation there. Yeah, they in, saw a high correlation. There. Okay, and Evans Road was a fire here in North Carolina. Right. Was that out out east? That was in the eastern North Carolina. Right? Okay, interesting. That, that was a big fire and it burned for a long time. Put in a lot of smoke. So smoke into the atmosphere is a major thing. Uh, also, you could say that all this biomass you're burning here in the fires, which is, you know, millions of tons are burning right now. Um, that's per, probably per day. I'm not sure what it is. But it's a lot of biomass is burning every day. All of the carbon in that is going into the atmosphere. 
So it was stored in the biomass, now it's in the atmosphere. Now that's not really a long-term problem because mm-hmm. next year uh, California will start to regrow and all the uh, plants will start to uh, regenerate and trees will start to grow again and they'll start taking CO2 out of the atmosphere and making oxygen through photosynthesis. Sure. So that's going to happen. We know that's going to happen. And eventually all the carbon that was thrown into the atmosphere this year will get pulled back into biomass. So there's a carbon cycle going on. Um, but on the, short, on the short run scale, you're putting a lot of heat and particulates, carbon, into the atmosphere, which is causes all kinds of problems for the human population at least yeah if not if not for the plants at least for us so that's right so then um benefits how can these wildfires help the the land if if not us but um maybe the land that they affect i i'm pretty sure after you uh after yellowstone burned did we not see a resurgence in in flora and possibly fauna? Oh, yeah, that, definitely. If you go to Yellowstone since the fires, and I've been there a couple times since the fires, there's a very dense layer of uh, lodgepole pine, <laughs> which is a fire-dependent species. It just came, you know, the, it just, um, all the seeds went out and they started growing. And so you have, it's just covered with lodgepole pine, hmm. um, which is not a good thing because lodgepole pine grows in a clump or very dense thickets and they're very susceptible to fire also so they just ah. they they grow and they burn they grow and they burn what happened with yellowstone is we suppressed the fires again and uh, we kind of got in the way of the natural cycle uh, with it um but let's look at some prescribed fires in the east yeah prescribed fires in the east are, are very interesting also and again that's Fires that are set intentionally by foresters and land managers in order to achieve some kind of objective. And the objectives are usually, the number one objective is fuel reduction. So they actually burn to reduce the hazardous fuel. So when a big fire does happen, uh, there's no fuel there and Mm. they go out. And you see this time after time where a a big fire might be going through um, Pocosin in the eastern part of the state and it'll hit a prescribed fire area and it'll just die down and you know get out of the treetops and go down to the ground and or it's very controllable again mm-hmm. um, so that's a that's a that's a big benefit is you you reduce the fuel loads um, but a, another benefit that's more um, that I'm not sure a lot of people have sure or, or a lot of the effect that they want to achieve with the uh, prescribed fire is to, again, it's taking away the vegetation that has grown up in the absence of it and opening up the, the ground to plant species that have adapted over the millennia to a fire. Um, a good, a great example, it would be longleaf pine. So mm-hmm. longleaf pine was the dominant species across the southeast uh, before the Europeans got here. And the Europeans got here and, of course, they they used it for to make uh, tar and turpentine for their ships. That's why one of the big reasons North Carolina was ever settled was had so much longleaf pine that they could um, 
you know, they could make their navy one of the greatest in the world. Right. Yeah. Um, by using the the tar and stuff that came from along the pine. Um, at the same time, they continued to burn. They needed to burn to get rid of all the stuff that was in the way. Right. Um, <clears throat> then the then came the lumbering age, probably starting in the early 1800s, and most of the longleaf pine that wasn't already killed from taking the sap and turpentine out of them um, was converted to lumber. It makes great boards. And a lot of houses, a lot of the older houses, you can still find four-foot-wide boards using used for roofing and flooring. No, it's just incredible uh, resource that they had. So, but they, the Europeans, harvested it all, <laughs> and they converted the land to farms. And there was still a good amount of longleaf pine coming, coming in. So, the, you know, they didn't really see the problem that we see today. But again, and I'll go back to the 40s or 50s when we started suppressing fires. Longleaf pine was highly dependent on fires to uh, survive. Because it goes through this stage where it sits on the ground, doesn't sit on the ground, but it puts in a tap root and it has like needles coming up that looks like grass, so they, we call it the grass stage. It sits there, and fires will go over it, and it doesn't really hurt it at all. Um, but what it, the fire does do is it will kill off all, a lot of the other species that it, it can't compete with as far as the speed of growing. Mm-hmm. And probably the major one is loblolly pine. You should know about loblolly. Loblolly, that's that's what we for listeners. That's what the tree that we see everywhere now. If you look around campus, most of the pines that you're going to see are going to be loblolly pine. Right. There's nothing wrong with loblolly pine other than it outcompetes everything else and <laughs> takes over a site. Um, so it's a great species as far as humans are concerned because we. It's probably the major stay of the uh, forest products industry in the southeast, which is. Southeast of the United States is probably the largest concentration of um, industrial forestry on Earth, mm-hmm. um, which is great for our economy. Um, but loblolly pine, if you, you know, this happens many times to me until I finally caught on what was going on. But you can plant longleaf. You're going to have a longleaf. You want that to come back, and you're trying to nurture it and treat it really nice, and you, everything seems to be going. Fine, and then you leave that area for a year or two. Say, "Well, I'll come back." Mm-hmm. You come back in a year or two, and it's nothing but loblolly pine. It's taken over <laughs> <laughs> all the longleaf. You can hunt around; it's still sitting down there in the grass stage where loblolly is you know, ten feet tall. Sure. Um, so then we have to. The, the cure for that is when you, after you plant it, you let it uh, set up for a year or so, and then you burn it, and you kill off all the loblolly seedlings. And then you wait a couple of years, and you let it, you burn it again. Mm-hmm. But then the longleaf will decide. You know, it's kind of fickle. That I don't really understand what it's doing, but <laughs> and it's probably a survival technique. Is they'll shoot up, you know, like six, eight feet in one year. They'll really grow fast, really quickly. Hmm. And that's because they're in the grass stage where they're protected from fire. And then if they shoot up real quickly, they'll get the the leader or the top of the the tree uh, to be away from the heat of the fire, so it's safe again. And so it has this uh, mechanism where it, it waits around, and then it'll shoot up real fast, and it'll be safe from fire. However, it doesn't all shoot up at the same time, which is a uh, 
the fickle nature of it, they kind of have a random response. Some will shoot up in two years. Some will shoot up in six years. Um, Interesting. And so some of the trees will always survive. That's I guess that's their one of their mechanisms for survival. It is interesting. Yeah. And, and we don't really fully understand the logic behind it because it's been developed over you know, the millennia. Yeah, millions of, of years or however many years that Longleaf's been around. Right. But when Europeans, when we decided in the 40s to start suppressing fires, it just really was a death knell to Longleaf pine. And it went from... I think it was something like 90 million acres in the southeast of longleaf pine, which was a huge, big species. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, you know, it maybe didn't it didn't rival the the redwoods, but it grew really tall and straight and and fat. It's a beautiful tree. Beautiful it really tree, is. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it went from 90 million acres, and it dwindled down to three million acres on in the southeast. That's that's from Virginia through Texas. Wow. And, you know, all of a sudden it kind of dawned on foresters, geez, we should start doing something. <laughs> uh, but foresters had, had been doing something in different parts of this, the country. Down in Florida they had the um, uh, Stoddard's uh, research on longleaf pine, and he was promoting burning back in the 30s, and the Forest Service just wouldn't accept what he was saying because hmm. they figured that it had to be wrong. It had to be, you know, fire yeah. is bad. We've learned fire is bad from the fires out west. Right. But he was saying you have to burn if you want to regenerate longleaf. And he said that long enough and eventually it started catching on and now it's caught on. People recognize the relationship between fire and regeneration of longleaf. But it's not just longleaf. It's other species too. But that's just the... Isn't longleaf our state tree? Seems like it is. Should be. It should be. I think it's. It could be lava. Just pine. Just pine. I think they just say pine. And Maybe. even though we're at NC State, I'll say that the you know Tar Heels always wondering how why they're called the Tar Heels. It's because that's, that's longleaf pine that's on the longleaf Tar Heels pine, on the right. tar on the heel. That's there. right. So all the people working out on the it was called the Naval Stores Industry. They had tar all over them, and so mm-hmm. they were known as Tar Heels back in the early uh, 1800s. Sure, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, well, for because we're at NC State University right now, mm-hmm. so while I I got to sit back here and look at all the students I've known for, through the years, and so out of the um, a Beaver Creek fire, which is a big one going through Sun Valley. Uh, one of our students was the, the fire meteorologist, and he was out there leading all the press. This was on the, the evening news. And he was leading the press through all of the, the conditions, and it was very interesting to see him out there. Uh, there was over close to 400 people, not over 400 people, from North Carolina, um, either the Forest Service, the Park Service, in the, the North Carolina Parks, and uh, the Nature Conservancy who were out fighting fires this summer. Uh, so, I mean, North Carolina is not just sitting here watching the country burn. It's out there helping to try to control it. Uh, we have probably the best skills, or at least as good as anybody else's skills. I won't say the best. <laughs> at least as good as anybody else's at um, controlling fire, uh, just because our, our, our culture here is really 
revolves around our land management culture does revolve around prescribed fire. It's just interesting. It is. One other fact that's kind of interesting mm-hmm. is that um, I think it was Gifford Pinchot who was the father of the Forest Service who kind of created mm. it. Um, and he knew about longleaf. He thought he knew that they were fire adapted and how thick their bark was and so on. But he thought uh, Southerners are just crazy people because they're always down there burning. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, well, it's, he had the Southern problem. How are you going to oh, get these yeah. people to uh, to learn that fire is a bad thing? And we still haven't. <laughs> yeah, no, because it's really good. Yeah, in the long run, it's a good thing. So. Thanks for all this information you've provided for us. It's been great. Um, and to the listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been Dave Klemp for Eye on the Triangle. Here are the campus happenings for next week. Here's what's going on at NC State. Tomorrow afternoon is a discussion about the legal considerations for social media in higher education. Led by representatives from the NC State Office of General Counsel, the event will take place from 12 noon to 1 p.m. in the DHL Library and will address the applicable laws and policies surrounding staff use of social media. Tomorrow evening, Peace Corps campus recruiters will host an information session from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Head over to Dabney Room 330 to learn about opportunities to serve by living and working in a developing country. Thursday is the Shelton Leadership Forum, which seeks to foster excellence in inspirational leadership and professional development. The event takes place from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the McKimmon Center and features several notable speakers. Thursday afternoon from 4 to 5 p.m. is the Math Department Distinguished Faculty Colloquium. Dr. Seth Sullivan will speak on the algebraic perspective of phylogenetics in SAS Hall, room 4104. Thursday evening at 7 p.m. is the semester concert for the NC State Wind Ensemble. The full ensemble pieces as well as small instrumental choir pieces will be performed in Thompson Hall. Saturday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. is the Service NC State Meal Packaging Event. Taking place in Carmichael Gym, the event relies heavily on volunteers to help package meals to be shipped all around the world. Sunday at 9 a.m. is the first Run, Walk, and Roll with Veterans 5K. Hosted by Student Veterans Association at NC State, the race begins on Centennial Campus and benefits nonprofit Canine Angels. This weekend at the Campus Cinema, the films Plains and Where the Millers will be showing. Check online for times. For more information on these events and more, go to ncsu.edu slash calendar. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage.
And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org, where you can also download our podcast. Well, that's all we have for now. Be sure to tune in next week. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Dave Klemp. I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Katie. Good Good night. night.